Blog Talk Radio. Welcome, world. Welcome once again to Tuesday Talk with Key West Lou. I am your host, Louis Patron. Well, the week was busy again, and Trump's all over the place, causing all kinds of news, disruptions, aggravations. I can't say any pleasantries. Um, and then things are happening all over the world, so I'm going to try to touch here and there and hit a few here and there. I'm going to start tonight with something that just broke about 10 minutes before I went on the air. I was not aware of it. Uh, I'm going to call it eviction news. A, a report came out today based on data collected in 2016 that there are four evictions every minute in the United States. I repeat, four evictions every minute in the United States, which means affordable housing is a problem all over the United States. We know it here in the Florida Keys. We have anywhere from two to four people sharing a bedroom or a two-bedroom apartment because they can't afford the exorbitant rents. Uh, And we have people who leave the Keys because they can't afford living here any longer. I didn't realize the problem was similarly acute all over the country. We are not addressing it properly. Down here, we're talking about building affordable housing for the working people. Uh, And I think there are other solutions, but nothing ever gets done regardless of the solutions being discussed. So I don't know where this thing is going. I am going to set forth some traits, actions, psychological thinking on the part of an individual. And I want you to keep in mind and think, who is Lewis referring to as I go through these various uh, items? For example, I'm talking about a man who never admits a fault or wrong, who never concedes there may be some good in the enemy, who never leaves room for alternatives, who never accepts blame, who concentrates on the enemy and blames him for everything that goes wrong, who concentrates on the enemy, and it doesn't have to be a a world enemy, it could be a local political enemy, and blames him for everything that goes wrong. Uh, He takes the position that people will believe a big lie quicker than a little one. And if you repeat a lie, Frequently enough, people will sooner or later believe it. And finally, uh, he takes every advantage of every opportunity. He takes advantage of every opportunity to raise a political whirlwind. Now, who is this man? Sounds just like Donald Trump, doesn't it? But it ain't Donald Trump, okay? It is Adolf Hitler. Trump talks like him, though. Trump thinks like him. Ivana Trump, Trump's Donald's first wife, in a uh, Vanity Fair interview in 1990, said Donald kept on his bureau or his nightstand by his side of the bed a book titled My New Order. My New Order was a series of Adolf Hitler speeches put together from when he first started coming to power in the late 1920s through 1939. He read Adolf Hitler's speeches, and what I gave you are some of the things that his speeches indicated. More importantly, this material comes from a report prepared by the United States Office of Strategic Services, the OSS, 
The OSS does not exist any longer. It came into being during World War II. It was the CIA of the times, okay? And we trained people, civilian people, military people, uh, to parachute into Germany and other occupied lands uh, to act as spies, etc. And they prepared for their people who were part of the OSS who were going into these dangerous situations. Hitler's psychological profiles, they knew the thinking of himself and his people beneath him. So what I'm sharing with you is Donald Trump, to a large degree, if not a complete degree, follows the thinking of Hitler. And don't say that's terrible. It's true. I mean, when are we going to start accepting fact for fact in this country? I want to talk about Donald Trump again. Remember Pinocchio? Pinocchio, the, the, the wooden uh, boy made from wood, he had a long nose. And why did he have a long nose? Because he lied all the time. And every time he lied, his nose got bigger. Well, what have they said to us right now? That Trump has lied more than 3,000 times already this year. Uh, wild. And uh, if he were Pinocchio, his nose should be at least 10 feet long and probably would require a crane to hold it up. Now, Pinocchio was lucky. He had Mr. Geppetto. Remember Mr. Geppetto? Mr. Geppetto was the man who made him. And so even though he didn't have a, a father, Pinocchio had Mr. Geppetto, and he was the one who taught, taught Pinocchio, you're not supposed to lie, et cetera, et cetera. And he did it. Now, I don't know who's going to teach Donald Trump anything. I don't think Donald Trump is teachable, especially when he's 70 years old. Uh, the saddest of all this, though, is that he lacks moral fiber. The mere fact that he lies so consistently is a clear indication that he lacks moral fiber. We, what, I, I've got to say this, and I know people still support him. I don't know how. Uh, the man is not qualified to be president. He's not what you want your children to become. If being president, you have to be like him. I would not want any of my children to become president. Uh, there is, uh, I, I sense, now I could be wrong. I wrote about this this morning, as I recall in my blog. I sense a slight turning now. The very hard-ass Trump supporters uh, who have been swearing by him are starting to weaken. And I sense a movement towards the other side. We'll see. I could be wrong. Let's talk about Puerto Rico. Very interesting. The New York Times report that came out this past week. I'm sorry, not the New York Times report. The Harvard study. Uh, we're talking about deaths as a result of Hurricane Maria in Puerto Rico. And here's how the death table runs. The official government, that means our government, the Trump administration, the United States of America, said 64 people died as a result of Maria in Puerto Rico. Now, keep in mind, my friends, some parts of the country still without water, some parts of the country still without food, some parts of the country without electricity. You see pictures on TV occasionally, videos showing how lousy many of the people in Puerto Rico continue to live. These were Americans, and we didn't help them. So that number of 64 doesn't sound bad because Donald Trump, 
when it was 19, said, look, only 19 people died. And if you talk to him today, before these other numbers come out, he would have said, well, it's only 64. That's not bad at all. These people don't know what they're talking about in Puerto Rico. Well, a couple of months ago, the New York Times came out with its number. Its number was 1,052. The problem was the way they compiled their numbers. They did not send people to Puerto Rico to knock on doors, to talk to officials, etc. They did it by taking numbers in certain areas and saying the deaths in this particular location for the last 10 years have been each year. And based on that number, they somehow were able to compute and come up with the estimate of 1,052. Harvard released its study last week that did a study. And Harvard said, 4,645 people died. 4,645 people died between May 20th and December 31 last year as a result of Maria. And this is the way they did their test. They sent people down to Puerto Rico. It was hands-on. It was boots on the ground. It was door-to-door. They didn't go to every door. They randomly chose households on each block to get the information from people there, how many have died on the street so far. So that looks like a better estimate. Whatever, we know it's more than 64. Uh, I say shame on you, Donald Trump, really shame on you, uh, because these were Americans. These are Americans. They're as good as you and me. But yet you failed to take care of them. You, 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 you forgot to put the power and the money of the United States behind them. They are our brothers and sisters. They are red-blooded Americans. Now, why did you do that? Well, I think part of it might be because even though they're red-blooded Americans, they're really tan people. They are people of color. I've spent much time in Puerto Rico, vacation-wise and business-wise. And most of the people are tan. Some are black-black. Maybe, well, we know he's a racist. Trump is a racist, and maybe it's because of their color. He just doesn't like black people or people of color. The other reason might be years ago, many years ago, Trump did business in Puerto Rico. It turned out to be an absolute total failure. He was down there for a year. He was given X number of dollars to do something. What he had to do failed totally. At the end of one year, Trump left or they got rid of him. He still got his pay, but the project he worked on was a dismal failure, and it's been reported as such over the years. It could be time to get even. Donald Trump's time to get even with the people of Puerto Rico for reporting that what apparently was a shoddy job on his part. Last week, this past week, there have been several videos running on the on TV, and it shows that the devastation still exists. The houses are still down. The power lines are down. People are drinking polluted water. It's discolored water. Hospital services are not available in certain areas. Again, these are Americans. We all should be ashamed that we're not helping them sufficiently. Tariffs. Donald Trump again. I'm going to be done with Donald Trump in a couple of more topics. Uh, Tonight I decided to do a little Donald Trump, get into him right away and get rid of him right away. Uh, Anyhow, these tariffs that he's imposing, tariffs on uh, imported steel and aluminum from our good friends, Canada, Mexico, and the European Union. Okay, now we do business with all these people. Canada's 
candidate couldn't be a better friend. They fought shoulder to shoulder with us during World War One and World War Two. They were there at Normandy. Normandy's tomorrow, June sixth. They landed on Omaha Beach, etc., with us yesterday, Utah Beach. They died with us that, on that day. And he forgets they're our friends. We have a longer border between us and Canada than between the United States and Mexico. Yet we do not have one wall on that border, nor do we have one fence on that border, and we don't have an immigration problem, okay? We do have problems with Mexico because people are coming in from South and Central America. There are any people coming in from, what is it, the Arctic? <laughs> I'm laughing, I shouldn't be, but they are coming in from the Arctic to go through Canada to get here. There aren't enough people living in the Arctic who are getting abused. There probably aren't any getting abused. But they are coming in out of the Central American countries and coming through Mexico seeking, seeking safety, safety for them, for their families, etc., in the United States. And uh, so these are all our friends. And this NAFTA agreement was terrific that he's gotten rid of. He's getting rid of all the good things that Obama put in place. Uh, Canada has made a ton of money on this. The United States has and Mexico has. The numbers he comes up with, the president comes up with, does not take into consider everything that's involved. He looks at one item. What's the steel and aluminum? And he looks at that because... There are some workers in this country, steel and aluminum workers, that don't have as much work today as they had 30 years ago, just like the coal people. But sometimes you got to move on from steel and aluminum to another type of work. You don't hang on for that which is gone. Uh, so this is terrible. This, this whole thing with Canada and Mexico is terrible. He says, Trump tells us, it's a security problem. Where the hell's the security problem? When's the last time Canada invaded us? When's the last time Mexico invaded us? I mean, this is absolutely ridiculous. And what I don't like, and I've got to say it, and you must feel this way too, he sucks up to our enemies, our enemies since World War II, Russia, China, all right? He sucks up to them, okay? Uh, sure, he's, he's done some things to affect business relationships between our countries, but he's still in there with them. He isn't cutting their testicles off like he did with Canada, Mexico, and the nations of the European Union. The other thing is this. Just last week, Donald Trump said, now that he, you know, he's, got a successful, he's got a successful summit coming up with North Korea's Kim, successful in the sense there is going to be a summit. What comes out of it, I don't know. I see it as an absolute disaster. I don't see a denuclearization of North Korea. They would be, I have to be out of their minds to denuclearize. If I was a little company that was a country that was otherwise poor, but I had nuclear weapons, I'm going to say, screw you, the rest of the world. I'm not going to give up my nuclear warheads. My intercontinental missiles can reach the United States. Because that's the only thing that gives me power and keeps you off my back, makes, you n makes me not a peon to you. Uh, so I don't know what he's going to come out of this thing with. Now it's going to be a long-range plan, whatever, as long as there's no war. But he wants to sit down with Putin. He wants to have a summit with Putin. He's looking for the Nobel Peace Prize. If they give him one, that's another disgrace. Uh, but... He wants to sit down with Putin. He thinks he and Putin face-to-face -face over a table can solve problems. Let me tell you something. Putin will eat him up. No question about it. He'll eat him up, chew him up, and spit him out. 
Let me give you a little Macbeth now, okay? Macbeth, remember this? That struts and frets his hour, he that struts and frets his hour upon the stage and then is heard no more. It is a tale told by an idiot full of sound and fury signifying nothing. A tale told by an idiot full of sound and fury signifying nothing. I'm talking about Donald Trump and prescription drugs. Two weeks ago, he came out with this major announcement. He was in Washington. He had people standing behind him uh, that he, in effect, was going to war on the pharmaceutical houses, the drug companies, uh, because prices are too high, especially for the seniors. I know. I'm 82 years old. I'll be 83 next month. Drugs cost money, even when you buy generics and even when you have an insurance plan you're paying for. They're not cheap. You have to put money up. And pennies are important to most of our senior citizens in this country. They live on their Social Security check. And he talked during the campaign. Uh, he said he was going to bring, he announced during the campaign, he was going to bring down drug prices, okay? Uh, he was going to fix the pharmaceutical industry, okay? And the way he was going to do it, he said, during the campaign, now stay with me on this, he said, number one, they're getting away with murder, and number two, this was his campaign pledge, that he would compel the pharmaceutical houses to use the massive buying power of Medicare to negotiate lower prices for seniors, because if Medicare is negotiating, they're negotiating for all of us. they got great buying power. That's why medical services to those on Medicare are cheap. Uh, but since the election, now that he's in, no more does he want to uh, get rid of the existing system and impose Medicare on the companies. And it's very simple. It's a very simple, there's a very simple reason for it. They have one of the biggest lobbying groups in Washington. The Congress of the United States is beholden to the pharmaceutical industry. You can see from these stories that come out every now and then how something that cost $42 went to $770 overnight. Okay? Things like that they do. And he, he's subjecting himself to the power and influence of those lobbyists. I'm not saying he's getting money. I don't know what the hell he gets. I'm just saying he's as bad as Congress. And instead of going forth and taking care of the problem with Medicare, he's now saying that what he's going to do is he's going to force the insurance companies to compete. It's going to be through private competition, more openness, and that will reduce prices. You can wipe your ass with that statement. Uh, what else is funny is this. He said in that talk I told you, all these people in the White House, the Guard, and all this stuff, when he announced he was going to war with the drug companies, he said, and I quote, that what he was doing, and I quote, was the most sweeping action in history to lower the price of prescription drugs for the American people. Bullshit. Sorry to be gross, but it was and is bullshit. Okay. I won't say today is an important day in American history. It's a significant day. And I'm talking about this day in 1968, June 1968. On this day, Robert Kennedy was shot several times and died 
the next day, which would be tomorrow. He had just won the California primary. He had given his acceptance speech at the Ambassador Hotel in Los Angeles. A group was uh, escorting him out of the hotel through a back door going through a kitchen. Uh, when the assassinator, the, the culprit, jumped into the crowd and put the bullets into Robert Kennedy. Again, he died the next day. Sad. I don't think he would have become, he would have gotten the nomination. He got into the race late. Hubert Humphrey was ahead of him. He was vice president at the time. And I sense it was just too late. I didn't think he could do it, but he was going to make a fight of it at the convention. Uh, in any event, a good man died that day. And between him and his brother, we've never had that flavor from leaders in this country since. They, they were uh, Camelot. Both of them were Camelot. Uh, they brought new thoughts, new idea. They brought the vigor of youth. They were both in their 40s, okay? And they were both killed. Now, 1968, it wasn't just Robert Kennedy died. It was a bad, it was a hard time. Let me tell you, I know. I was there in 1968. I, had been practic- I was 33 years old. I had been practicing law eight years. I had a wife and four children. Just bought a new house. Had a mortgage, too. I was all-American that year. I had a mortgage. Well, these were difficult times besides Kennedy's killing. Martin Luther King Jr. had been assassinated in the spring. The anti-Vietnam movement was peaking. The people of this country hated the Vietnam War. There was no reason for the Vietnam War that required us to go in with both feet and lose all the American lives we did over there. Uh, this thing just started it started under Kennedy. I got to say, John Kennedy, but it, it was small time. Then it grew and grew, and under Johnson, Lyndon Johnson, he was a great president. What he did with civil rights, but the Vietnam War magnified. I don't know how many times under him, he had, he wanted to be a war president. Most presidents want to be a war president. They want to be like Abraham Lincoln, who had the Civil War, and Franklin Delano Roosevelt, who had World War Two. Uh, and Vietnam was his war, and he came, they, they gave him the Tonkin Revol- uh, Resolution. He could bomb anywhere he wanted in that area, and the war got bigger and bigger. We defecated on the Vietnamese people more and more and more, and the war was lasting too long, and the people of this country, they were in the streets like they demonstrate today against policemen because of black deaths. People were in, and, and shooters, and women's march, They were in the streets against the war in every community, even my little community of Utica, New York, at that time, 100,000 people. What a huge parade. Doctors, lawyers, and Indian chiefs, everyone paraded, okay, against the Vietnam War. So that was a big problem affecting us in 1968. It was so bad for Johnson during that year that he was, he could have run for president again because you have two full terms. He, He got two and a half years of Kennedy's leftover time, then he was elected for four years, and he could run again for four years. And he was giving a State of the Union type address, and at the end he looked in the camera and he said to the people of the United States, I have decided not to seek a second elected term. And why did he do that? Because he was a smart politician. He knew he could not win with the Vietnam War on his shoulders. Now, let's talk about Kim. Kim Jong-un of North Korea. We've got a big meeting coming up. The summit's June 12th. 
and everybody's got to stay someplace. They're they're doing the summit in Singapore. They pick a place that neither country has a part of, and the North Koreans are going to stay in one hotel. The Americans another hotel. Kim is staying at the Fullerton Fullerton Hotel in Singapore. Now he's got to put himself up. He's got to put his, all his aides up. He may bring 20 people, 50 people, 100 people with him. We don't know, but they're all going to be staying at the Fullerton Hotel. The presidential suite, the presidential suite that Kim's going to be staying in is $6,000 a night. I repeat, $6,000 a night. And uh, he's going to have room service. A drink or two, some of the people. Kim refuses North Korea refuses to pay the bill for the hotel, for their lodging and their food, and because they just do this. They did it during the time of his grandfather. They did it during the time of his father, and he does it in his time. They refuse to pay these bills. Someone else has to pay them. Now, he could. He may try to indicate that he's poor. I don't know. Uh, he's got a great army. His people are starving, though we all know that. Uh, and he's looking to us to pay the bill. We can't pay the bill. It's illegal. I'm sure Trump would if he could. But they're looking to other people, like the government of Singapore, to pay it or some corporations because he ain't going to pay the bill. That's just the way it is. You want me there, you pay my way, in effect. Sung Yun Lee. Sung Yun Lee is a Korean expert. He's a professor at Tufts University. He said last week, and this is amusing, he said, and I quote, North Korea can build nukes and ICBMs, but claim they are too poor to pay for travel costs. I repeat, North Korea can build nukes and ICBMs, but claim they are too poor to pay for foreign travel costs. Uh, yeah, Mathis, our Secretary of Defense, several months ago was in North Korea, and Kim threw him a big state dinner. Twelve-course meal, not five, not six, not seven. Twelve-course meal. Guess who got the bill for this 12-course meal for Mathis and everyone who ate that night? The United States of America. Nice way to do business. Okay. I want to talk about counterfeiting. You know, today we worry about $20 bills, $100 bills. You see in the supermarkets, people hold the bills up, look at them. Sometimes they take the $100 bills and they draw a pen through it somehow, a colored pen. And that's the big thing today. That's how counterfeiters make money. I came across this. I, I do a lot of research concerning Key West because I'm writing a couple of books involving Key West. I don't know if I'm ever going to finish them. But I came across this week as part of Key West history that in 1890 in Key West, the big counterfeiting problem was the nickel. Yes, a nickel, five cents. And it makes sense because in 1890, a loaf of bread was probably a penny. A quart of milk was probably a penny. Things... People's salaries were probably 3 or $4 a week. Cost of everything was comparative, though, at that time. So you can understand why a nickel would be counterfeited. It was worth a lot of money if you had a lot of nickels. Right. I want to tell you about Bayer. It's the Bayer Aspen Company. They're really a British company, United Kingdom. They are buying Monsanto. Monsanto, the perpetrator of terrible herbicides, cancer-making products, seeds they force people to buy. Uh, no one likes Monsanto except the government of the United States, the Congress of the United States. On Thursday, Bayer is closing, out, closing to buy Monsanto. 
They're paying $63 billion for it. It's a mega closing, a mega merger in effect. The new company, they're not going to call Monsanto. Bayer is conscious of the bad reputation of Monsanto. They're not going to call Monsanto, Monsanto, ever again. That name will never be used after Thursday by the company. Going to be called Bayer Corp Science, the Monsanto portion. Bayer Corp Science. It's going to be a big, great global operation, 115,000 employees. The, the revenue is estimated to will be at 45 billion pounds a year. Now, not everyone is happy with this. Most people are calling this a deadly wedding, calling it diabolical, and it is. Uh, Putin, for all the bad things Putin's done, five years ago he threw Monsanto out of Russia. You can't plant anything, you can't produce anything, you can't use your pesticides there. And he further said, do your business in the United States. They don't care if they kill their own people. For real, for real. So the European Union's concerned. And Bayer said, we will not do any business with European Union countries with the former Monsanto part. So that's the story there. And that's all the time I have tonight. I hope you have enjoyed the show. Uh, I enjoy doing it. I'm glad you come back to listen to me. I'm glad extra people come in each week. Again, I keep saying this, but it's true. The numbers get bigger and bigger. I, I am very appreciative. I am very humbled. You have no idea that people are enjoying the show and listening to it. You know it's archived. You can pick it up anytime. Uh, and it's archived version during the week. My book, Ermin Me, is still out there. It's selling, but not as much now. You know, we're, we're over the beginning of it. But if you haven't bought it, please order it from Amazon.com or BarnesandNoble.com. Thank you again for joining me. I look forward to being with you next week.